0: Gradient. Evangelisation. What can a layperson do? A talk by Robert Haddad at the 15th Annual Call to Holiness Conference. impossible to lay new evangelisation. <laughs> I'm just going to make two quotes from my presentation this afternoon. I don't like to do a lot of reading because I, it's the afternoon for a start and reading tends to deaden the text. I like to be a bit more lively. But here's a couple of quotes I do want to share with you from the Second Vatican Council, the Decree on the Apostle of the Laity, uh, paragraph two. They exercise the apostolate, in fact, by their activity directed to the evangelization and sanctification of men and to the penetrating and perfecting of the temporal order to the spirit of the gospel. In this way, their temporal activity openly bears witness to Christ and promotes the salvation of men. Since the laity, in accordance with their state of life, live in the midst of the world and its concerns, they are called by God to exercise their apostolate in the world like leaven with the ardor of the Spirit of Christ. Now just to dissect this and expand on it somewhat, what's clear here from the Second Vatican Council is that the laity are called to be Christ and to sanctify society in ways where the clergy or religious cannot enter. That's quite obvious. Penetrating and perfecting the temporal order The temporal order is the specific sphere of where the laity should operate. And like yeast, helping to gradually lift it up by our following of Christ, by our personal example. Not necessarily by preaching all the time, but diffusing the spirit of Christ through our everyday lives. Now I'll give you a quote defining what new evangelisation has come to mean today. Now, we do have evidence that John Paul II first coined and used the term new evangelization as early as 1979. The earliest quote that I have is from 1983, where he says the following I sense that the moment has come to commit all the church's energies to a new evangelization and to the mission ad gentes. No believer in Christ, no institution of the church, can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all peoples. That's the end of the quote. John Paul two, Redemptoris Missio number three. Now elsewhere he said this is to involve new methods and new ardour. Much has been said about what new evangelization evangelization is supposed to mean. How is new evangelization somewhat different from traditional old evangelization? Is it a strengthening? Is it a weakening? Is it a watering down? What is it meant to be? Well, I, 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 I argue that it's actually a combination of the old and the new. Evangelization has been part of the Christian mission since the very beginning since Christ gave the great commission to the disciples to be apostles and to preach to all nations. And that's a mission that's to be shared by all the baptized in Christ. I want to focus here on giving a bit more definition to the term agentes. John Paul II has said elsewhere, defining agentes to mean, where entire groups of the baptized have lost a living sense of the faith or even no longer consider themselves members of the church and live a life far removed from Christ and his gospel. This is a very accurate but sad uh, defining recognition of the state of Western society today. We live in the West. We are seeing, as we speak, the process of secularisation, which is ridding the influence of religion from the public sphere. And I don't believe, in my, I tend to be naturally pessimistic, I don't believe it's going to stay at that. I'm very intrigued by a quote from Cardinal George more than a year ago, about 15 months ago, when he said the following, that I will die in my bed, and my successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr. I actually tend to accept that process where we are in modern society today. It is being de-Christianised and it's not only un-Christian now, it's heading towards being anti-Christian. Just try to be a politician, a lay person who's a politician trying to advance the gospel or Christian gospel values in society and see how far you're going to get. You're going to be told, keep religion out of politics, religion has no role in politics, why are you trying to impose your views upon everyone else. Well, I generally see that. That's what politicians tend to do anyway, impose their views on the rest of society. My counter argument to that, as lay people, because it is essentially the role of the laity to be involved in politics, not the role of the clergy or consecrated people, that we are citizens, We live in a democracy and I have every right to be participating and contributing to the democratic process, the political process, irrespective of my religious views. My religious views have no less right to contribute than your non-religious or your anti-religious views. just wanted to make that very clear. Now, we know what the theory is. The Catholic theory... On evangelization is wonderful. It's beautiful. And I've just given you three snippets, three quotes, Second Vatican Council, and a couple from John Paul, II relating to the role of laity and defining new evangelization to non-peoples that were once Christian that are no longer Christian. But sadly, the reality, in my opinion, doesn't match the theory. The theory is beautiful, the texts are there. The church is perfectly right on what the laity, what we as the baptised should be doing to promote the gospel and to convert the world. But are we living up to what the church formally teaches here? I say it's a sad no. I relate to you one experience of mine very early on when I came back to a more active participation in my Catholic life in the mid-1980s and I was at the back of St Patrick's Church at Church Hill in Sydney, some of you might be familiar where that is, and I happened to peruse the back shelves where they had pamphlets and I picked up a pamphlet and I opened it up and it was a survey of different peoples and their attitudes towards spreading the faith, trying to convert others. And it was a bar graph showing how many what percentage of say Methodists or Anglicans or Presbyterians. Now this pamphlet was significantly old. Okay, it's probably dated well before the Second Vatican Council, maybe the forties or fifties. The Catholics in this bar graph that I noted, in this Catholic pamphlet, rated last. Only about 28% of Catholics had ever asked someone else to come to church or come come to a Catholic church. Well below all the other mainstream denominations in Australia. At this time, this survey was taken. Now, my experience... Coming back to the Catholic Church or more active participation in my Catholic faith went through a process going back starting in the late 70s when I was invited by a Baptist friend of mine when I was at Punchbowl Boys of Public School to attend the Billy Graham Crusade at Randwick Grace Course in 1979. Subsequent to that invitation, I had Uh, uh, limited participation or engagement in the Baptist Church and then with Sydney Anglicans at Sydney Law School for the next six years and what bothered me personally was that when it came to personal evangelisation by lay people my Baptist friend and his friends in the Punchbowl Baptist Church and the Sydney Anglicans who were part of the Evangelical Union there at Sydney University left Catholics for dead I couldn't, I, I couldn't cope with it, I couldn't uh, understand why we Catholics were no way near as active or as en- enthusiastic in personal apostolate as these good people in these other denominations. My non-Catholic friends in these groups thought and said to me very frankly that Catholics were duds. For a start, one my Baptist friend said to me, only one in three hundred Catholics are any way, shape, or form holy. Another young lady at Sydney Law School told me in 1984, I used to be Catholic, but I left the Catholic Church. One reason was because they don't have enough of the Bible, and two, because after the Second Vatican Council, to quote her, after the Second Vatican Council, the Catholic evangelization went downhill like that. And this again was disturbing me. Now, one thing that I took gratification from many years later for was another experience I had at, when I was working at Sydney University Catholic Chaplaincy. And there, we were engaged in a new form of apostolate that was set up by Cardinal Pell. And part of it was to actually, for us, as chaplains, as conveners, as staff, to be, at, to be active and visible on campus... Was this easy? No, it was very hard. I have to admit, it's easy to be critical like I have been so far. It's much harder to get started. I started in early February of 2002. I was still, by mid-April, had not done anything visible on the campus. And in fact, I was actually terrified to start. And my assistant, my full-time assistant, second in charge was terrified, likewise, to start. And I remember sitting in the Legion of Mary rooms that we were still rent today and looking across towards the campus, staring in fear as to when am I going to have the courage to actually get out on the campus and just do pamphleteering. And it was mid-April and I said, look, I made a personal promise to myself that by the end of May... I'm going to appear on campus and actually start pamphleteering. That that I did. It was well before, actually, the end of May. And all I did was for 45 minutes have a little stall with a sign on it which read, Daily Mass at 10 past 12, Chapel of the Resurrection. (laughs) And after 45 minutes... I went back to my office and I felt fantastic. I actually felt I'd shattered the ice. And no one berated me. No one attacked me. No one destroyed my stall. No one said anything negative. And And what am I saying here? That We have trapped ourselves in these fears. Cultural fears as well. I mean, Catholics don't do this. It's the Evangelicals, it's the Pentecostals, it's the Jehovah Witnesses, it's the Islamic students on campus. They do it. And that's what people expect them to do. But Catholics don't do that. Well, why don't we do that? (laughs) By the end of that year, we had our first two converts. One, a young Baptist man who was in in the leadership team of the Evangelical Union and a fellow who had been a Hindu, communist, atheist, Heineken... I don't know if that's going up or down, now. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. And then he became Catholic. After he spent a few days with me, and I couldn't answer any of his questions because <laughs> he was too smart for his own good. But anyway, one, this Baptist fellow named Glenn ended up becoming Catholic because someone, a, a fellow student of his, invited him, come to Mass. Come to Mass. And it was October 17, 2002. It was a feast day of Saint Ignatius of Antioch. And we asked the priest celebrating Mass, look, it's the feast day of Saint Ignatius of Antioch. Quote what he said about the Eucharist. And this fellow, Glenn, came with two others. And he sat in the back pew. He was already pretending to be Catholic. That's why he was sitting in the back <laughs> pew. Okay, but anyway, that quote from St. Ignatius hit him straight. It went straight over the heads of his two Baptist friends, but it hit him directly. And he said, "I didn't know there was a quote that early." that that illustrated belief in the real presence in the Eucharist so early in the history of the church. But he said what he was so relieved about was to actually see Catholics on campus evangelising. Because it's so natural and ordinary and everyday for the Evangelicals and the Sydney Anglicans and the Baptist, etc., etc. But for Catholics, they all believe we don't do it. We're hopeless at evangelization. We only became the largest church in the world because we had more babies. And in many countries, we're not even doing that anymore. I think, as I said earlier, we tend to trap ourselves in a certain mindset. In the, dare I say it, I've, been, I've already heard today not to talk about the good old days, but in the... In the so-called good old days, when there was plenty of clergy, plenty of religious, great missionary orders, doing great things in Australia and around the world, we tended to, as lay people, relax. I mean, our role was to pray, pay, and obey. Okay? And everyone was happy with that, just pray, pay, and obey. we got the missionaries they will do that. We didn't have to do it, because our role is not to do that implicitly. That's what we're telling ourselves. How was the laity defined in canon law before 1983? Listen to this quote. A layperson is a Catholic who is not a member of the clergy. It's defined by, it's a negative definition. A layperson is someone who's not a priest or a religious. It wasn't taken seriously enough as a vocation in its own right. It's a default vocation. It's a vocation you have when you don't have a real vocation. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but nevertheless, it was a default definition. And we have, in, from the Second Vatican Council onwards, yes, all the documents are saying something different, and putting it in its proper context and giving weight and meat to the definition in the right way. It did start before the Second Vatican Council. In the late 1920s, we had Pope Pius XI who defined Catholic action in the following terms. The participation of the laity in the apostolate of the hierarchy. This is fabulous. Pope Pius XI is doing something wonderful here, trying to get Catholics up and out of the their back pews of the church and be more active in assisting the church in its evangelization mission. That definition is a good definition, but it's not the best definition. I still think it's very narrow compared to what we define by lay evangelization today. The participation in the apostolate of the hierarchy. Is evangelization the apostolate of the hierarchy? What about if I lived in Japan from the late 16th century until the mid 19th century as a lay Catholic in Japan when there was no hierarchy? When there was no bishops, when there was no clergy because they'd all been wiped out and the church was only a church of lay people surviving on two sacraments, holy matrimony and baptism, I would still, by virtue of my baptism... And if I happen to be confirmed as well as a lay person, it's by virtue of those sacraments that I am called to evangelization because the, the, the task of evangelization, the apostolate of evangelization, is not the apostolate simply of the hierarchy, it's the apostolate of Christ and his body, the church, the whole people of God. One magnificent Manifestation of lay apostolate ahead of its time in accordance with the future definition of, of Vatican II to go into places where the hierarchy and religious cannot enter and to be leaven of Christ in those areas was the work of BA and Maria in, in the industrial groups in Australia in the 1930s onwards. You can't be a religious and a priest, be working in the factories, in the mines, being a union member, being involved in politics. Now in those days, which were scary days, the second, sorry, between the First and the Second World War... The Depression, the rise of Communism, the rise of Nazism, Fascism, the influence, the the attempts of Communists in this country to infiltrate and take over unions, to infiltrate and take over the ALP. How is that to be combated directly? Good lay Catholics, informed Catholics... Living out their baptism, living out their confirmation, going where the clergy couldn't go, being inspired by the teachings of the church, being inspired by supportive clergy, for example, Archbishop Mannix, etc., and fighting pitch battles on the floor, on the shop floor, in the union halls, etc., and winning unions back to moderate leadership and preventing. This is a historical record by the book on the table about B.A. Santa Maria there that I saw earlier today, preventing the the left, the hard left, the communists taking over the ALP and therefore saving Australia from communism. And I certainly believe in that. That was the case historically. These heroes went as Catholics where the clergy couldn't go and living out an evangelisation mission in the secular world. What about us here today? When we talk about we are lay, we're baptized, we're therefore called, what is our apostolic field? What is our field of evangelization? I might not be interested in politics, I might not be a union member, whatever. Well, nevertheless, your first apostolate is the family because the family is the first natural vehicle for evangelization. That's where it's supposed to take place in the beginning. Parents bringing their children to Christ, having them put into grace through baptism, That's proclaiming the gospel to them, catechising them, forming them in the bigger issues as they grow up. And sadly, as we've heard today, this is what is not happening on a large scale. We can be very critical of the education systems, the formal education systems, and I share in that criticism, though I have to be more prudent these days because I'm part of it, but but the failure is occurring before the school systems. The failures are occurring by default in the home. If the parents are not the first evangelizers, they leave a void, they leave a gap. That gap is filled by television, by radio... By magazines. These are the old technology. They're also now filled by the internet, the YouTube, the Twitter, the Facebooks, whatever, whatever. I was going through some old notes from 20 years ago that I used to give to students at school when I was teaching at St Charles. And I, I cut out this newspaper article from the Daily Mirror in 1993 and I photocopied and gave it to all my students. Where John Paul II said, Turn your TV off. And it was a message to the parents of the world, turn your TV off because that is what is forming and deforming young people because you have the responsibility. There's one thing I like about Elvis Presley, by the way. When he didn't like what was on TV, he got his pistol out and shot at the screen. Now, I'm not saying pull your pistol out, but get the the remote and do the same thing. Of course, and then we have our natural everyday apostolate to those among us, our friends and associates. It doesn't have to be a, a Bible bashing session. It has to be, I, I'm not good at this, I'll admit it, but once I, when I used to work at Westpac Banking Corporation before I went into teaching, I used to go to daily mass at St. Mary's Cathedral, and I, everyone knew. Because people ask questions, where do you go at lunch? And I said, Well, I, I, I go to mass, actually. You know? and so, okay. And so my friends, as a term of endearment, called me weirdo. <laughs> so I to, and you know, there was this guy named Anthony Southern who I worked with. And Anthony was a Catholic, but he was a young Catholic, eighteen, and typical, you know, more interested in beer and going to the club and girls and all that. And Anthony said to me, "You know, Robert, I couldn't do what you're doing." Maybe he said this a couple of months later. I couldn't do what you. I couldn't do what you're doing. But you know what? I really respect it. And that's the point about personal evangelization. When you set the or attempt or make a decent, honest attempt to set the right example, it does have an impact. You're dropping seeds, uh, and these seeds will one day. If grace is nurturing those seeds, uh, you never know what happens. They could impact on him and gives him something to think about as an option later on in life, perhaps. And the workplace, okay, the friends and the workplace is an extension, etc. Now, this is a challenge I like to give out to each and every one of us, considering what I said at the beginning, that pamphlet that I looked at in the mid-80s that said, woeful at personal evangelisation." Don't put your hand up when I ask this question, but answer it in your own mind. How many of you have ever, ever invited anyone, Catholic, nominal Catholic, non-Catholic Christian, anti-Catholic Christian, whatever, Islamic, to ever come to a Catholic event or a Catholic Mass? So don't put your hand up, but just answer that in your own mind. If the, if the answer at our age, considering that we're all adults, if the answer to that question is not 100%, then something gets wrong. I wish Archbishop Portis was still here because I put this note in having in mind that he was going to be <laughs> here today. We have all sorts of Sundays in the church. And when I was head at CCD, we had Catechus Sunday, it's a worthy cause. We have Refugee Sunday. We have many other Sundays. I like us to introduce into our church calendar an invitation Sunday. Where one Sunday every year, all the Catholics in the pews are asked. For that Sunday, invite someone new to Mass. Anyone, anyone who's not coming to Mass, whether it's your own children, your dad, Your mother-in-law that may be pushing it, but your mother-in-law, right? Anyone, bring them to mass once a year. Are we going to lose anything from it? Why were Why was Hillsong a gathering in a hall this size in 1983, and now as the mega church in northwestern Sydney 30 years later, because of the culture of personal invitation? We can talk about the documents. We can talk about the theory. We can talk about the theology underpinning the documents and the theory. It's all well and good. It's fabulous, and it is hard. For my own personal experience, I know it's hard. But at the same time, it's pretty simple. Start with personal invitation to bring, to encourage people. I know of converts who've said it straight. I remember watching EWTN, a person who was studying at Notre Dame University in Indiana, there in the United States. He said, I was there for years. No one ever bothered asking me to consider being Catholic. I became Catholic after a process which began when someone invited me to consider it. So invitation should be part of it. New evangelization, new techniques, with the new technology in particular, we heard about the digital continent, etc. That's where we should be heading towards. But at the same time, we shouldn't forget about the old fashioned methods. One is personal invitation, door knocking. Door knocking's hard. I used to do door knocking in the late 80s. We used to promote the message of Our Lady of Fatima door to door and sell Fatima magazines. It was hard, it was scary. But how do the Jehovah Witnesses grow? How do the Mormons grow? Because they do door knocking. I came back from the Naval Review in Sydney on Monday, long weekend, this Monday. Came back, got off a of Belmore station, climbing up the stairs with my family. And what's at the top of the stairs? Two Christians, I'm not sure what type they were, having a stand, giving out free Bibles. Why well, have... 30 million Catholics, according to Pew Research, have left the Catholic Church in the United States. Why have 30 million Brazilians flocked to Pentecostal and Evangelical churches? Out of that 30 million lost in the United States, 15 million have gone to Protestantism, 3 million to New Age, and 12 million to nothing. Most of those who have gone to non-Catholic Christian churches have gone because they are invited. As I was invited by my friend Stephen in May 1979 to the Billy Graham crusade, I was invited to go. When we, as I said, how we broke the ice at Sydney University... After that time in 2002, you go, to, you go to Sydney University these days, you see the Catholic chaplaincy office operating these days, there's no fear. That's the wonderful thing. There's no fear. I was on campus, I was abused. I saw my staff abused, manhandled, swor- sworn at, riots when we had an anti-abortion speaker. But the fear does go away. And we are a real witness on that campus, plus at UNSW, plus at UTS, plus at Macquarie University. Four campuses, secular campuses, where Catholic chapel operate, and they operate positively. Not like, and this is what Pope Francis warns us not to be. Don't be behind your walls and wait for people to come. Go out and reach for them. Go out and invite people to come. And that's what's happening, gladly, at that um, Sydney University. And despite the fact that the ultra-left wingers on campus want us to go away, say that we have no right to be on campus, ring the security to have us removed if they think we do anything that displeases them. Well, well we're not going away. We have every right to be there. And the courage is there, but it's not, something, it's not a courage you feel anymore because it's become a second nature. It's become something we exist to do. And we'll never be able to work as lay missionaries, lay apostles. And I'm not talking about just sitting in diversity. We as lay Catholics will never be unemployed when it comes to the apostolate. We've got more issues than ever to contend with. What do we got? Well, indifferentism has basically taken over the world. All religions are the same. Catholic Church is nothing special. We've still got the pervasive, uh, uh, destructive influence of atheistic evolution throughout society. Secularism, as I said, is my top fear at the moment because it's not going to stay as I said just as a ignoring or marginalisation of us oh, we're in what I call the white persecution stage where the media does it's best to mock and ridicule us. Have a look at the Fairfax media just for a start Go read the Sydney Morning Herald I don't know what equivalent you have here in Brisbane I can't read the Sydney Morning Herald any day without them outrightly promoting the sexual revolution and that's another issue we have to contend with and we thank John Paul too for giving us theology of the body as his remedy for the sexual revolution or to counter the sexual revolution. We have the, the rise of Islam in the West, not just in Islamic countries, but in the West. I live in Bankstown, and it has a very, very dense percentage of, uh, of the population which are Islamic. And it's a real issue, and there are Islamic apologists winning young... I have taught students when I was at St Charles College who are Islamic today. That's how... that, that That's just two small examples of how potent their missionary work is and that needs to be addressed. Now I've been given the wind-up to finish in about five minutes but appropriate qualifications for this you see you need to get about six or seven degrees, four or five of them postgraduates, you need to do your doctoral research before you even get started you see okay <laughs> That's that's all well and good. I'm a big supporter in getting degrees you know, I wasted a few of my years getting a few degrees I used to call people thermometers because they had more degrees than a thermometer <laughs> okay? but, but the degrees are important when you want to work as a professional particularly in the church church agencies etc etc go get them especially young people get them but you don't need them to do this missionary work you need the and you need the zeal you need the enthusiasm, you need the love it's not rocket science to be a lay apostle. You're just living out your baptism. You're just living out your confirmation. You're just being enthusiastic. You know what the, the root meaning of enthusiasm is in Greek? Filled with the spirit of God. infused is being filled with the spirit of God. You have to have your knowledge. Absolutely. But more important, and this is where I'm noticing with Pope Francis, who's also a big supporter of new evangelization. Though in a different way than John Paul II and different emphasis than Pope Benedict, his new evangelization is driven by personal example. He speaks a lot against our worldliness, about pride, about arrogance, he also talks a lot against gossiping, so I have to be a bit more careful, (laughs) but um, he wants to drive a new new evangelization through personal example, humility witness, gentleness truth, etc so that's a critically important issue, because I can tell you now a lot of my Protestant friends that I used to know, they used to think oh Catholics, 1 in 300 are holy, the rest are boozos they just get drunk, they gamble, they swear all the time, blah, 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 there's no holiness here. They don't see holiness. This is called a holiness. If they don't see holiness, no one's going to come. They have to not just see the truth, they have to see the holiness and they have to see it in us. So this is just a round up now. This is my conclusion. This is on the, on, This is my take on all this. How is the new evangelisation to be carried forward by the laity? It's combining the old means with the new to represent the faith with integrity as positive, vibrant and intellectually credible. It shouldn't be in the end about getting courage and it shouldn't be about forcing yourself out there as it was with me in 2002. It should be our second nature, instinctive as Catholics. Why? Because the Church exists to evangelise. And so likewise, we should evangelise. That was Robert Haddad with Evangelisation. What can a layperson do? This talk was from the Call to Holiness Conference on the Second Vatican Council. For more information, visit calltoholiness.com.au and for more talks, interviews, and shows, visit cradio.org.au.